This is episode 44 of the Soul of Sensitivity podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holden, the resident intuitive healer and witch at SensitivityUncensored.com. Each new and full moon, I bring you the voices of sensitive, empathic, and creative pioneers starting conversations to lift up the voices of sensitive souls who have a piece of the solution to help all of us evolve out of the limiting, patriarchal structures that bind us and start to create a new world that values us all. This is the Soul of Sensitivity. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I have taken an unexpected hiatus, which you may have noticed if you're listening um, as things are coming out. You may have noticed I missed basically the new and the full moon in May, uh, which I am not proud of, and I apologize for that. And the reasons behind that are actually require me to make a bit of an announcement, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that. As of today, I am nine weeks pregnant. Yay! I know I'm excited about that. I'm excited. I'm nine weeks pregnant with my second child. And I forgot how tired and sick early pregnancy makes me. Uh, <laughs> I have basically been spending the last, well, not, not a total of nine weeks, but definitely the last six to seven weeks laying in bed a lot avoiding food, but needing food a lot, um, and eating a lot of pickles. Um, basically, I have been, I feel like I've been about at 50% capacity for the last little bit. And so I, I really apologize for that. And really what happened is that I had to make some really, really strict priorities to get through this first trimester. Hopefully this pregnancy will be similar to my first pregnancy in that Around the second trimester, it was like a magic button got pushed and my energy came back and I wasn't nauseous anymore and I felt so much better and I got so much stuff done in the second trimester. So I'm really keeping all of my fingers and toes crossed for that. And I've started to notice that even at the end of week eight, things have been getting a little bit better in terms of fatigue, which is nice. But basically, I've been on this 50% capacity, so I've had to make priorities. What can I get done before about 1 o'clock when the wave of fatigue just takes me over with this incredible brain fog to where I cannot even think? And so usually the afternoon is where I spend time recording. I spend time catching up on emails. You know, I do that, you know, the, the busy work that's not the most important thing, but is still important. And that is what has just not been happening um, for the last few weeks. So I apologize for not being on time with your episodes as expected, but I'm back. And I'm really excited about this episode today. I just had this fantastic conversation with our guest, uh, Molly Knight Ford, and we're gonna I'm gonna share that in a little bit. But for those of you who are listening and and for who have continued to listen to this podcast and shared it with your friends, and those of you who don't have donated on Patreon or uh, you know rated this podcast or just any way to support this work, I'm so 
grateful. And I'm so grateful too, particularly if you're showing back up as I'm showing back up after not being super consistent. And so I I really appreciate that. And you know, this other thing that I've wanted to say is that early pregnancy is this weird time where for me, it's this feeling of my whole rhythm stops. The world doesn't stop, but that rhythm within me that feels like it's moving along with life kind of stops. And all of my energy circuits go into creating this other life, you know, within me. And it's a delicate time, right? In that you don't feel very well. And there are you know, not insignificant chances of pregnancy loss, right? And so um, it's not a time that we talk about. And, and I think that that's, um, I think that's, that's really the wish of some, uh, some uh, people who are pregnant, I won't just say women, but some people who are pregnant is that they don't really want to talk about the first trimester. They want to kind of hold that close and allow that to be theirs. And then I think some people don't, we don't talk about it because it's taboo. And, you know, if if something were to go wrong in the pregnancy, we would have to talk about more taboo things. We would have to talk about grief and death and um, despair, perhaps sadness, things that we're generally not good at talking about. Um, and so I'm not, uh, I'm not saying this to um, make anybody wrong about what they choose to do, how they choose to talk about uh, a pregnancy, not at all, but just to say that I have felt a little isolated, really, in the first trimester, just not being able to, and not feeling ready to tell you, like, hey, I'm, I haven't been able to show up because I have been, you know, laying on my bed um, in, in utter fatigue, and I'm so sorry about that. So... It just, it you know, there was a lot of this restful time to think about. It was just, this is just interesting. Um, this time is interesting. And so I've, I've kind of been in that and still am to some degree in that liminal space. I feel like I've used that word a lot this year. But that liminal space, it was like the space between. The space between how I was um, working, how I planned to be working, the space between my... Um, ability to be and my, you know, real promise to be vulnerable with you in my blogs and my podcast um, and not feeling like I could be. Um, So yeah, it's been an, it's been an interesting time. Um, My fetus at this point. Well, maybe it's actually, it's nine weeks. So I think, I think, yeah, we've moved from an embryo, an embryo to a fetus. So, um, has the worst due date possible, December 27th. So, you know, sorry, little one. Um, so we're going to be expecting this bundle of, uh, parts and, you know, hopefully all working parts. I don't know anything about it yet. Um, and I, I don't know if, if anything will, if, uh, if this bean will be viable either. I don't know any of this. All of this is still up in the air. Um, but we'll expect that at the end of the year, um, right around Christmas, maybe December, maybe January. Uh, and then we'll have to deal with this, you know, December birthdays. Fantastic. 
And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you're listening again. So enough about me. I want to, well, I want one more thing about me, actually. Um, since I have done one maternity leave before, I know how I want to do it differently this time. And I have some things in the works. Um, not uh, and, and I'll tell you that they are creative. I had talked about being in the time of new things were coming. I've officially taken a sabbatical from teaching, but I don't know what the teaching is going to look like. Well, in all of this rest that I've been able to have, more information is coming my way. I also finished up my rune course. I have officially journeyed and met and um, have been working with the energies of all of the runes. So that's going to become a service soon. And you may see some free um, or very, very low priced uh, practice sessions available soon. But, but all of this to say, I am making plans for late pregnancy, maternity leave, and new stuff available in 2020. So if you've been wanting to take a class from me and you saw me go and teach sabbatical. Do not despair. There's going to be some awesome stuff coming out uh, next year. So please stick around. Okay, this week I had the just absolute pleasure of talking to one of my recent teachers, Molly Knight Ford. And in this conversation, we go really deep. We talk about specific tools and their role in creating real shifts in our daily life. So this this is really what I think the goal of spiritual work is. It's it's not to escape daily life, it's to inform daily life. It's to inform the ways in which we're relating and living and understanding ourselves and a continued practice of bringing what is uh, unconscious to consciousness in a way that can create tangible change for yourself and in your relationships, you know, because this, this world is about relating, you know, we need to be able to relate. Um, And, and so I'm really excited to share this conversation about these tools that I've been learning that you'll hear me talk about, they have made the tools that I've been using and the ones that I've been teaching make sense to me in a way that I just hadn't been able to fully put together. The, this, these tools felt like a missing link for me. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Molly Knight Ford. So she's a professional professional classic pianist, international transformation mentor, sound shaman, and author who leads people to personal freedom using wisdom teachings and unique awareness methods practiced out in the world, not just on the cushion. As a founder of the Awareness School, she teaches the art of self-observation and has been facilitating global retreats, on and offline courses, women's groups, as well as one-on-one mentoring for over 20 years. She is trained in Zen Buddhism, the fourth way work, and shamanism. She is also a level two certified sound healer working with crystal alchemy bowls and shamanic sound journey. Her greatest wish is to contribute to the new epoch by assisting individual transformation through expanded awareness, meditation, sacred dance, and sacred sound. Her books, The Abundance Mindset and Be Present, Reflections on the Way, can be purchased on Amazon. Her CDs, The Art of Dance, as well as French, are available on Amazon.com. 
I really hope that you will enjoy this conversation. And before I release it to you, I just wanted to make one note. There's a point in the podcast where I am talking about um, the layers of the mind. And I talk about that first layer of the mind as the chitta, which was like total brain fart on my uh, on my. And it's actually called the manas. And I got done recording. And I was like, why did I call it the chitta? So totally call it pregnancy brain on my fart and on my fart that's funny on my part <laughs> and so note that when I get to that part where I'm talking about the layers of the mind and I call the lower part of the mind the chitta I was actually referring to the manas all right so without further ado here's my conversation with Molly Knight Ford when did you start your awareness school um actually I was in a much larger group with a teacher that I had been with um, for about, oh God, I think 10 years or something. And I met my husband in the group. Uh. And then, you know, we, we bought a piece of property um, for this big group. And all of a sudden, you know, everything started falling apart. Of course, when we did this, I don't know what happened, but I ended up leaving. My husband and I ended up leaving and, you know, half of the people came with us and half of the people stayed with my teacher. But I had been teaching alongside him for about, I don't know, four or five years. So I had been teaching these movements, these dance, sacred dances, um, because he had some bad knees. And so he said, all right, somebody's got to teach these things. And I had been doing them for years and years. And so I started going to places like um, uh, there, I had a Danish teacher and I went to um, um, Dominican Republic. There were people who played the piano and did these dances. So I started getting expertise in that. So I was kind of teaching beside this teacher. It all blew apart. And my husband and I left and we named it the awareness school. And that's been going for about, um, I don't know, more than 10 years. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So I've had a, a really great taste of the awareness school, but tell us all about what you do. Like you're, you know, there's, you, we just heard you talk about sacred dance and I assuming yeah. there's awareness practices, but give us a rundown. Yeah. Okay. Well, I fell into these, this particular set of practices um, when I met the teacher I was just referring to. And I had already been in a Zen dojo for about six years. So I was already practicing things like what the Zen, uh, the Zen practice of Shikantaza, which is just sitting. I mean, you don't even, you don't even bring yourself back to the breath. You, it is just sitting. And it's not trying to still the mind, but it is being and seeing the mind. So this was a kind of awareness practice. This was uh, the ultimate in mindfulness practice. And it was, it was pretty torturous in the beginning. I sounds say, awful. It was like, <laughs> it was like, I thought I was going to scream and die the first time I, I did it. I was just like, I was looking at the patterns on the wall going, now, how can I get out of this room? I'm about to scream. My legs are driving me nuts, you know, but I mean, if anybody has ever meditated, you know you're pretty squirmy in the beginning. Yeah. And sometimes when you're getting ready to up-level, um, you, you get re-squirmy. And you think, 
God, have I learned anything? And all of a sudden you shoot through to another level. Um, so that, that work with Zen was really austere, was quite, um, there was not a lot of instruction. It was just sit, 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 and sit. And I don't know how I stayed in that, but something started clicking. I started seeing results out in life. But I did find that I only could keep myself really um, more calmed down and together when I was sitting. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived at this teacher who I referred to, mm -hmm. these were practices that you do out in life, mm -hmm. not just when you're sitting. And so that, that rang true to me. You know, somehow it was like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense. Like, I can find ways to be in my body and be present um, that reveal something to me that I couldn't see before when I'm in reaction, when I am triggered, when I feel alienated, when I feel defensive, all of these, all of these things, they're clear and present signs that I'm really attached. Mm -hmm. And I want to see, you know, where that, what that attachment is. And so the main practice of this school, the awareness school, and it is derived in a lot of Sufi practices and in the fourth way practice, it, it just propelled me forward in a way that I could never have imagined. And it, it is finding this sort of effort, non-effort that goes with Zen, mm -hmm. but it is, you know, trying to see something within yourself without analyzing it or correcting it and changing it. It's how to um, abide. Like Buddhists will say the word abide. And when you can abide, you can observe something. And so this was miraculous because it's, I, I started to unravel what was behind all of these mechanistic patterns, these reactions that are really don't have anything to do with the actual interaction at hand. Right. I mean, is it, it's like, I, I feel like that should be the goal everywhere, right? That our spiritual practices should make us better humans. <laughs> so I could see why this would be so, um, you know, uh, attractive and, and why I find it really attractive, this work. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, you know, a lot of times, a lot of spiritual practices, you know, they claim to have that aim and maybe it is that it is the aim, but something gets lost in translation and we learn to bypass. Yes. And so like, oh no, I do. And this is the complete opposite. Like a lot of times, you know, I shouldn't say this, but a lot of times, you know, people feel worse <laughs> when they start doing this. I oh really, yeah. You know, no, but, no, but that's, seeing all this. You know, but I think we need to talk about this, right? Because there's this idea that like a spiritual practice is like this linear upward, mm. you know, moving towards some sort of, and it's not like we have to dive down into the darkness and the shadows and actually have all the begunk revealed so that it can get yeah. out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the epitome of shadow work. It is, um, when we're working on awareness practices and becoming present, we start hearing and seeing the things inside that are going on, you know, infinitely and consistently. And we've learned to sort of block it out and not hear it. Yeah. And so when we start hearing it and seeing it, it's like, Oh God, this is really, really not good. 
but the but the trick is to struggle within yourself to not judge it you know and to say this is what i am this is what i do this is what it like all the time in our classes we talk about it and it mm -hmm. is this thing that is not our essence it's all of our personality and you know it's the one that doesn't want to get up and meditate it's the one that wants to please people it's the one that you know has this driving desire to be successful but it's all based in what other people think and how other people see us yeah i call those programs yeah 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 e external oh, references yeah, yeah. yeah. totally yeah. totally <sighs> i just love that i just love that and and also i imagine trusting that the process that got you into those shadows is the same process that will get you to the other side yes of those things like yeah. my teacher used to tell me all the time and i've had many teachers i mean yeah. since that teacher i've had energy work teacher and a shaman teach me mm -hmm. and all of them you have this specific message of you have to go th through it to get past it and we've heard that before and i think it's really really true and to um because in a way you're we're all afraid of this but we have to just jump in and and through our fear, we become fearless. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, it's the only way, but I know, I know from my experience and from seeing students' experiences that we can become free of this, mm -hmm. really free of it, like mm -hmm. to a place where we don't get triggered. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm serious, Would there, to, to dismantle this by seeing, Mm -hmm. And when you see, you see in a way, it's not just noticing, you see in this way from your being, which is not your thought, it's not your feeling, but it's a way to have this composite aha understanding. And that's all that needs to happen. And then that feeds your consciousness. That's the only thing that will feed your consciousness. You know, it's not a reprogramming. It's not how to rearrange thought. It's not how to see how to control the subconscious or something like this. It is self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. Allowing yeah. more of that essence to, to take up space as you notice what's been clogging it. And I, you know, and I say that just because I've, I've experienced some of this through practicing these tools. They've been, I, I have been so surprised at the, the, <clears throat> how do I want to say this? The, the results came really fast. <laughs> like for me, at least I was like, this stuff is amazing because mm. it felt to me when I learned these practices from you, that it was this like, um, culmination of lots of separate tools that I had learned in different places at, you know, where you're embodying and, and there's this nervous system component and there's a focus and there's a spiritual component. And somehow these practices, this, practice that we're kind of talking about mm. it really pulled them all together in this really critical way yeah. that has just been, um, it, it's, it's been a life changing. Oh, that <clears throat> is the way I felt when somebody started teaching me and yeah. you have a lot of experience. I you do have yeah. a lot of expertise in a, a lot of areas like this. And so it is not surprising to me that just these few little links could you know formulate something in you that gave you much more understanding 
uh, and and it was like that for me because I had been in the Zen practice. I tried to be, I had been meditating. I was having all these empathic problems. Yeah. As we do. <laughs> as we and do. It, and I just, and it's, it wasn't addressing these empathic problems. Exactly. And, and the minute this teacher of mine said, you must learn how to have sensation in your body. And I don't know how to have sensation in my body. And you know, uh, oh, I've been doing yoga for a long time with this Zen teacher. I said, okay, during the yoga class, I'm more or less in my body, but it has nothing to do with this intentional holding of attention on sensation because this is a, an awareness practice called expanded awareness. And I thought I understood it at first. And he said, no, you don't understand it. You're not, you're not noticing what's happening in your body like oh that's part of it maybe it is part of it like oh my heart is beating fast i know i'm scared of something and I, this is not me intentionally holding sensation in my body this is that's me that's my mind noticing what's going on in the body so the mind is the thing that analyzes and labels and um corrects or it, it, it's just a binary computer and so right. it goes oh oh heart beating oh fear and so part of the problem is there's this feedback loop between reaction and thought and all this stuff well that doesn't happen in the body with this kind of maintenance of sensation as a presence tool Mm -hmm. Right. In the first, you know, when I first learned it, I was like, wait, so am I going back and forth between mm -hmm. sensation and, you know, what's happening outside of me? And it, it took me a little while to get that. No, it, it's like you said, it's expanded awareness. It's awareness of the sensation and of the place and situation and what is happening both external and internal in this awareness of it all and then what it means for my being versus my consciousness and it's this fantastic place of answers really holy cow if i could have explained it like that <laughs> that was just like yes that's a huge yes that's exactly you know it's like holding the inner and the outer that's what this um intentional awareness of sensation does that's exactly what it does mm -hmm. and like last tuesday we have a group meeting every tuesday and we had it was an open meeting we had guests and so i ran this exercise in which all right hold the sensation in your feet and now move that sensation to your breath and actually be be with your breath of course you sense the air coming in and out and then i added other things and after the exercise, of course, one of the people um, who was trying to do this got really overwhelmed and he said, I, this is just an overwhelming thing. And I said, it would be overwhelming if you try to do it all from thought. Because yeah. you, you juggle, you, you toggle, you toggle between oh, this and that and this and that. And, but there is something that can hold this sensation, like I'm aware of sensation while I'm talking to you right now. And yep. I can track my words. I can think, what am I going to say next? But I'm holding sensation. And so that creates in me something more that perhaps is inexplicable. But with the practice of this, 
then we start to be able to um, have this presence and awareness of thought energy and feeling energy and not just be in one of those things which compartmentalizes us so that we can't really see what's going on. Well, right. And both thought and feeling take us into the past. They take us into the future. They take us away from the present moment. I mean, that's kind of the definition of their the triggers, right? As they move us from place to place. And so I, you know, I've, I've noticed as I can, when I can hold expanded awareness, when I'm triggered, it's like, that's when you, I can see that, oh, this is not about this. Right. This is about this other thing. And I can work it out in the moment. I don't actually have to go and like take it to a therapist and like process it. It's like, I can, I can start to work it out right there because I have everything I need right there. Yes. And every time you do that, you get what I call and what has been called in the fourth way, an impression. And it's not like just a, an impression like we use the word. Yeah. This is something that is a loaded picture, of a snapshot of presence that you see. And then as those happen, those snapshots start connecting, like dots are connecting. And all of a sudden, something much larger will be seen. So, you know, sometimes people say, oh, this isn't really anything. It's, it's not, you know, I, I noticed this in the moment and they think it's just this little passing thing, but I say, no, it's not a little thing for you to see this inner mechanism, like to see something conditioned within us is really hard. You, you don't just see it. it, it takes some effort. And so that, you know, brings us to a new place because we're developing and strengthening our essence rather than our personality. And our personality is the thing that maintains all of those worries about the past, anxiety about the future. What do people think? Oh, I shouldn't have said this. Oh, if only he would do this, or if only she had said that. And all, all the things you just talked about, mm-hmm. you know, thought and feeling and all that trigger mechanism. What is it that stands outside of that and goes, oh my God, I, mm-hmm. I'm seeing this happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it's bringing in this integrated place of sensation and you notice thought and you notice feeling. And so you're building, you're strengthening that part of you that is your essence. And at some point there's a, you know, there, there's a tipping point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this makes sense to me in the, the yoga Ayurvedic philosophies that I've studied and in Sankhya philosophy, the mind is looked at in terms of three different layers. So we have what you're talking about are the thought forms, the chitta, the, which is the, the mind. And this is it, the way that I think about the, the mind, it's products are the thoughts and it's, it's really just a product of the ego. So it's just the past. It's just, it's the past, it's the present and it's nothing new. It's not going to come up with anything new. And so I like to think of it like the, like the assembly worker on a factory. It's not doing anything new. It's just putting things together, spinning out product, right? And that's thoughts. And then we have this other part of the mind, which is kind of like the, the witness. And, um, and, and this is the, the place, it's kind of like the manager of the factory where, you know, this is the place where we have our values and our knowledge. And so we, we add a little bit more to the mind, but it's still kind of a cognitive process. And then there's like the CEO, which is like the spirit, 
you know, yeah. that place from which we can witness everything that's going on. And so my sense and the way that I kind of put this together in my own thought forms, right, <laughs> is, is, is like, oh, we're, you know, by, by holding sensation, we're able to get the lay of the entire land from the position of the CEO. And it was like, it's so cool. You know, that is exactly it. And uh, the fourth way terms there, you're developing a deputy steward, like mm. the overseer. Sure. And, and then there's, there's something more that gets developed beyond just this observer. And it has to do with our being. Yes, with exactly. With our soul, just like you're saying. And our being is, you know, ultimately we want to be broken open and live in this heart mind. Mm -hmm. And it's really outside of any one of those three functioning, mm -hmm. you know, parts of us, the thought, mm -hmm. feeling, and body. And it is more, it, it, it requires this observer to, to be developed because otherwise we're just hook, line, and sinker in this, in this binary feedback, you know, um, assembly line thing. And exactly. We're, 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 we're analyzing and it, it does us no good to analyze what our fears are and say, oh, that's because my mom did this or psychologically. You, you have to be in the moment to see something for yourself. You know, it's outside of time and that's where things really get repaired. Yeah, I would say, yeah, that's thing, where things really get repaired. I mean, sometimes it's helpful for the mind to have a place to rest, I think, where it's like, sure. okay, that's where that fear came. But I agree with you in that, you know, the real change comes from seeing the pattern and shifting out yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. So these practices just, I mean, it, it just propelled me forward. It added on to the Zen. And, yeah. you know, that the, what we were just talking about is really, really what I learned from that fourth way teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The practice has made a huge difference just in my, in my psychic space and the way that, I mean, it's, it's made a difference in the way that I work professionally. Um, yeah. And it's also made a difference just in my day to day, you know, running around with a toddler or, you know, dealing, uh, I shouldn't say dealing with my husband, I should say partnering with my husband, you know, yes. just, that, you know, those everyday yeah. interactions that can be tough sometimes, like the, the yeah. being able to hold sensation changes the game for yeah. me because it, it, you know, in so many ways, it allows me to, um, I don't know how, if this is the right way to put it, but like access compassion and not just for yeah. someone else, not like I'm letting down boundaries, but I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing my humanness here. I'm, you know, there's a shift happening and it, it allows me to, to kind of see what's going on with, with someone else. Um, uh, how do I explain this? I feel like I'm getting confused here. Not so much in what's happening in me in that moment, but just the humanness of it. Just like, oh, yeah. I'm working yeah. on this trigger. You're working on that trigger. Right. Let, let's dial it back. Right? I mean, the fact that you can see that it's a trigger and not be all involved and self-absorbed in the trigger itself, like being so offended or this is so unfair or I'm not being treated right and all that. That's when you're really hooked in and self-absorbed. And if you can see, if you can remove yourself a little bit and it's through the sensation, well, this is the exact result. You start having empathy because you, you see, oh, wait, this, I'm having this, but also this may not be all about me. And you start seeing, oh, 
oh, this poor guy, he's, or this woman or whoever, you know, oh, they're, they're struggling with this. Right. You've taken yourself outside of your own story. And when that happens, there is all the possibility in the world for better communication, for compassion, for understanding. And, um, you know, one of the jokes we have in our school is that, um, you know, the next piece to maintaining sensation is to start bearing the unpleasant manifestations of others. And the funny thing is that we're the ones who think they're unpleasant manifestations. And so we start learning about ourselves. But when you bear something, it's not, I don't mean, oh, you sit there and take abuse. Got it. But <laughs> when you when you see someone struggling and you choose not to be right and argue with it, or you just let it ride and you're working within yourself with possibly a, you know, a micro reaction that's happening in you. And you just, just, you, you, you start to have a choice mm-hmm. and that is shifts everything. You start to see that you have the choice. A lot of times the cat gets out of the bag, you're already reacting. And then, so you're working within yourself with mm-hmm. that, but eventually something is happening to you where you say, I, it's okay. This person's really tired. Just let it ride. I don't have to argue the point. Or, I don't have to take on the emotional labor of fixing it. Right. It's my favorite thing to do. Right. Or <laughs> I see, I, I'm feeling really defensive and insecure and I want to argue back because I want to be right because uh-huh. that compensates for this insecurity and something starts going, I don't have to be right, you know? And so doing those kind of practices builds up being as well. And, you know, you, you, it, it can change the world because it can change how other people relate to you. Like if you don't play in the pattern, they can't play in the pattern. And so exactly. then they start going, uh, uh, either they'll up the ante and really push, try to push your buttons even harder. Cause they're like, no, you've been playing this pattern with me for 15 years or whatever. I'm not letting down. And, but you, you know, you just have to bear it and keep working on the inside to just watch. It's almost like you cook in it. Yep. You know, and something starts to happen. And this is how these patterns are dismantled. If, mm-hmm. if, if you work on yourself, you know, it'll help everything. You don't have to work on other people. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I used to not, I used to not believe that. Like I just did not see I just did not understand how that would work. And now I get it. I'm like, oh, if I become neutral to the patterns in which I've been enmeshed, then the pattern doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Something new has to happen. Right. Takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating. It's such fascinating work. So I want to hear more though, Molly, you said you fell into this work. I want to hear more about what you were doing, you know, before, you know, what, what were you doing before you were doing all of this awesome work that you're doing now? And how do you, yeah, we've got time. And then how did you just like fall into this? Because I find these stories fascinating. Yes. How we fall into our, our callings. (laughs) I mean, look, I was... Um, I was getting my, uh, graduate degree in classical piano performance in, you know, at the conservatory, Paris conservatory of music, high level 
stressful as can be. And it was all about, let me prove myself. And, you know, so there was this light side of me that was like, look how accomplished I am. I can play all these Bach, you know, English suites and French suites and all. It was just so accomplished. And on the dark side, I was, you know, with a different man. Every night I was doing so many drugs. I was, you know, it was like counterbalanced with just an alter ego because I couldn't handle life. I mean, it was really weird. Um, it was really the black and white of it. That was my life. And people didn't know, you know, you just hide this other part. And I was really suffering. Like I was so stressed out and so actually feeling like a failure or feeling not enough to the point where I was like, you know, I just hate myself. And there was this other part of me that was like, you got to drive harder. You got to prove yourself more. You got to be on stage. You got to win this competition. You got to show that you're just, and listen, that, that'll kill somebody. Oh yeah. I, I was at the point of like, uh, you know, I'm, I am slowly killing myself with all the drugs and drinking and then trying to, I, it was just awful. And it was a real privilege to be in the school. And it was you know, quite a privilege to be living this life and doing what I was doing in Paris, you know, I was teaching. And so um, at, at some point, uh, I, I did just spontaneously start meditating. I felt like someone or something called me to it. And I could see that guide, that person. And then someone told me about this Zen dojo. And I, I just went, I'm going to go do this yoga class. Yoga's got to be the thing that's going to help me calm down and do. And so I wandered into the yoga class and this was a place that I would end up staying for six years. And after the yoga class, this teacher was um, just an unbelievable human being. Like he was totally cross-eyed and, and blind and, and I was like, what's the deal with this guy? And, you know, he was tortured by the Nazis. Uh, he was a French person who sympathized with um, some of the resistance in Germany. And they, they got him and, you know, put him in prison. And so he got, really got tortured, but he also got enlightened hmm. from this. And so he, he said, I want you to stay for the meditation. And I was like, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't do that stuff. I don't do that. And he said, no, you should stay. And he knew, he knew something. He knew, he felt some kind of spark or he just saw something in me that I couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And so I lined up with all these people and they were in these black robes and it was all of this ritual that I can't stand ritual. I, you know, I rejected the whole, you know, Christian church and my upbringing because it was just all this hypocrisy to me, like mm -hmm. ritual with no substance behind it. Whether and I that was rather judgmental because there's probably plenty of people having wonderful experiences in the church, but to that me, was yours, that's fine. yeah, it yeah. was just oh, you know. So I was like, oh no, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing this. And um, I just got pushed into the line and pushed in there. And like I said, I kind of referred to it before, you know, I was sitting in a circle, a square where everybody's faced the wall, not inside, they're all turned to the outside. And, um, you know, I was really suffering. I was like, I'm not staying here. I can't stand this. I want to get up. I want to scream. 
And all of a sudden I hear this whack, whack, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I in? I'm in some kind of cult or something. You know, this is the Zen practice of the Kiatsu where they, they have this large paddle that they hit your shoulders with. And I was like, I am fucking out of here. I can't, you know, there is no way he, this guy's going to hit me. There's no way. Uh, this is an old practice in, in Zen Buddhism. And so, um, uh, you know, he's moving down the line and I see this in my periphery and they all put their hands together and they take a bow and then they lean to the right, whack, lean to the left, whack. And so I'm like, well, I just won't ask for it. You know, I won't put my hands together and bow. And so he gets behind me and there's just this long, you know, 20 second, 30 second, like, okay, she's not doing anything. And all of a sudden I just started feeling this. I don't know. It was, it was the most overwhelming feeling. I, I felt like, oh, I'm feeling his presence. And all of a sudden he pushes my head to the right, whack. And he pushes my head to the left, harder whack. And I just sat there and the tears just came streaming down my eyes. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I was holding all of that tension and all of that um, anxiety. And I don't know, something, it just like, it released me and the tears were just flowing forth from me. And I realized, good God, you know, there's something here. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just started me on the path. I never looked back. I went to that place every single day, except the weekends, for six years. Oh my gosh. And I meditated with him every morning. I went on every retreat, you know, three times a year with all these cleansings. And, you know, he was from a sort of multiple um, traditions. Like he, he taught the yoga and all the Indian cleansings, you know, like the mesh and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I swear it was an intense program. That's it kind of, kind of like an, it. I'm kind of an intense teacher because of all that. Like I don't put that my students through that, but, but it was like, it saved my life. Like, I yeah. think I would be dead if, if I hadn't. And, and I, I write this in my book. This is one of the entries in my book mm -hmm. called a Zen story. Mm -hmm. And it was really the start of the whole path. And, it, you know, I, re, I realized that I've held something within me all my life. Like I could see things when I was little. I knew that there was something else. I was connected to the stars. I, I knew all of that, but I forgot all of that. Mm -hmm. And I went to the dark side. It was just self-torturing. And then it was like the wax all, just went, oh, oh, oh. And then I have never looked back. I mean, I have been doing that since. Mm. So I just love that. I love hearing that story. Oh, wow. It's a good story and it's, it's a, a good story. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. And so then you fell in with another, this other teacher, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Who teaches, taught the um, fourth way, expanded right. awareness. Yeah. Right. And then I got, I, I took this thing called energy class and that led me to the shaman. And the energy class was all about these energy types and how to see the unseen world of energy and what people are doing, what their coping mechanisms are. And I'm about to release that course on all cool. of that. And, and then the shaman 
who taught me would not let me even reveal that I was studying that for four years. Like it was like, you are not teaching this. You are not letting, doing anything until you get done with this. Mm-hmm. And so it, you know, it's a, it's a process of initiation and mm-hmm. I had, didn't even know it until mm-hmm. I was, you know, more steeped in it and through it. And so mm-hmm. all of my work that I do with people is a combination of those Zen practices, all the fourth wave practices, all the energy insights and the earth-based teaching of shamanism. <laughs> so I don't really train, you know, it is my eclectic mix that has come through. And then it's just, I've, it's not like it's, I've dabbled, you know, yeah. it's, like, it's just come to be this yeah, you've committed. I mean, everything that I'm hearing is I committed to this, and then I committed to this, and yeah. you saw everything through. So I'm curious then, and we, you and I were talking about this personally, um, but I'm curious because so many of these uh, things that you've engaged in, it's been you know, like the four years in shamanism and you don't let this out of the bag until we're done, you know, and there's, so there's this reverence for Mm. the material and there's this reverence for the learning. And then there's also getting the work into the world and allowing access. So I'm curious just how you balance that personally, Mm. you know, that balance between respecting the work and keeping something sacred and allowing it to make its way into the the world. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I feel that I was taught that by many of my teachers to respect this um, place of understanding, like, and they were watching to see that I understood it, not that I had knowledge of it and we could just spit back out words, but that I had real experiences and real levels of freedom and real abilities to see things as a result of that freedom. And they they were like, go teach it. And Mm. also I did have to discriminate for my own self. Um, You know, do I want to teach this or, you know, I feel that I know it, I can teach this, you know, in some certain uh, instances, but uh, I feel that because I have been given these things in a way that was truly a, a, a profound connection with another human being. Like that's the way it happens that I'm compelled to do the same for someone else. It's almost like it's my duty because mm-hmm. it was done for me. Like someone made sure that I knew it. And now, you know, and they told me, now you go and make sure, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. I mean, we don't all need permission. We can do when we know, we can discriminate, we can, we can do, but it, you know, it's on our conscience and it's our, it's our responsibility to make sure people are all right. And if you're dealing with, you know, very high energies or a really concentrated teaching and things go awry, you have to know, you know, what to do. So you take the teaching as a responsibility and it's, you know, for me, it was better to just be patient and work on myself 
yep. instead of having this goal of like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. Let me grab this stuff and just go, you know, it just evolved. Yes. And that's why I love this conversation. That's why I, I like this topic and I wanted to bring it up because there's so much of that, you know, yeah. and, and I saw it a lot in the yoga world um, where it's like, I just want to teach this thing that I just barely learned myself. And I'm just, cause it's so much fun and I'm a teacher. And so I'm going to teach this thing. And I think that you're right. I think that there is a danger in, you know, letting um, really potent practices kind of run amok. You know, I had an experience with um, a shaman that I work with um, where he had a student who decided it was time to leave the course early, mm. you know, and she had, um, she had things go awry. She had people um, in, under her care who, who um, you know, lost control of certain high potent spiritual situations. And, you know, and, and it was just this really interesting question. Um, you know, should, should, you know, I don't know if the question is about should, but, um, making sure that you are out of your ego and, and, uh, you know, respecting the practice, respecting that, respecting the practice and respecting that you don't necessarily know more than the yeah. potency of the practice. Absolutely. Like, yeah. it's like that the potency of the practice is what's being passed on. And, you know, to be in that position of teaching, you have to be able to say, I can walk away from this at any second. I'm not attached to this because, you know, if you are, your ego is attached to being a teacher, a teacher. knowing yep. more or, or being an authority or any of these things. So, you know, I have disbanded groups and going, this is, this is done. I'm done. Yep. And then, you know, something else will reassemble later, but I have to keep myself in check and okay, we're all trying to make our career and learn, but I made money in a different thing while I was working on something else and mm -hmm. not trying to just jump in and and do something that I was not equipped to do. Exactly. And I think there's a lot of that happening. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a lot of that happening. And it's funny, I was just talking to my students about this right now, where there a lot of them are, or a few of them rather, are wanting to develop some practices around what they've learned from me. Mm -hmm. And and I'm kind of having to, to really talk about like, you don't own this. <laughs> You know, right. you don't own this, you know, spirit has tapped you for some sort of work. You don't own the work. It can't be yours. Right. You know, and so we have to look at this from what's the soul of the work and right. are you willing to respect and be of service to that and be the steward right. for the work and be able to call it quits when the work is going, you know, awry or, or something is not um, working anymore. And you kind of have to be like you, like you said, at the whim of what does the work want? Yes. What is the practice need? Yes. It might not be the goals you have in mind about your six figure business. You know, it might be a right. different thing entirely. Right. I mean, I think you said it. The key is to be of service to the teaching of service to the work. It's not about your aggrandizement. It's, it's about are people growing? Are people you know, it, it's a gift to hand it to someone else. And um, I, do, I do think that, uh, you know, to give yourself time to know it um, and to learn it for yourself, like you have to know and have experienced things that you're teaching. Otherwise you have no business teaching it. Not at all. 
Not at all. Like I wouldn't teach piano lessons if I had had two years of piano lessons. You know, nope. I started teaching once I had had a degree, you know, in piano performance. Okay, maybe some little kids when I was, you know, 19 sure. or something. Yeah. But what I'm saying, and then, and then you do learn from teaching. Yes. You do. Yes. So but you have to, point, yeah. But you have to be a couple steps ahead. Sorry, you can keep going there. But you, you do. Have, you have to be. That's, but it's you don't have to know everything. No, your teacher, not a guru, right? It's like, you don't have to you know everything. Right. We don't want you to know everything. We want right. us to be teachers, to, to be a step ahead so that if something does go awry, you have the skills to handle it. Yeah. 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 Be I, able I, to I, reel I, your students back in. Yeah. Right. If you're going to teach a place from knowledge and not understanding, you'll see what happens. You, you will see that the students do not move and, and grow and, and reflect this but if you really take it to heart and you know it and you do it yourself it just comes naturally and it will move through you to the other person because it's the teaching that's doing it and not you exactly exactly uh, <laughs> we need more of this message out in the spiritual yes. world yes. <laughs> we definitely do it's yes so we do we it's do so good so tell me about the the offerings the things that people you know people who have listened to this you know want to get involved what are mm. you offering um if you go to my website uh either mollynightford.com or the awareness school it no it's not the it's awarenessschool.com. Mm -hmm. You'll see that there is um, a small 14-day meditation. And that gives you the first initial step about how to use sensation. And it gives you a meditation. And um, then I have other levels of courses. Of course, this Energy Insights is about to come out. Mm. And it's a, a evergreen do-it-yourself course about these energy types that I've come to know. And then we run a live practical awareness course, usually in the fall and the spring. Mm. And this is an eight-week course that teaches the general principles of what I'm teaching. And we go into detail about each one of those and meet once a week. Um, and uh, I also run that live in, you know, online and uh, from our school here in Seattle so that we have a group that is together live and a group that's online and then everybody can come into our online system group or join our Tuesday night group. So we kind of run it concomitantly here in Seattle and online. Nice. Yeah. So that's the way people can become familiar with some of these principles and how to work. And, you know, it's an eight week course, but you could use it for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can just see how the potential for growth with these tools are just, Yeah, it would never, I mean, I see where you can make tons and tons of change and there's still more to uncover, yeah. which is always, I mean, that's always really hopeful to me because it's just, it's, it becomes a practice then instead of something to perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then the, the, the other thing that I do that, it ha that uses more of the earth-based teaching and teaching the 20 count medicine wheel is that I run a women's circle every year for four and a half months. And that's sort of a bigger signature program that is more substantial and we have a retreat. Um, so, so that's another thing that is really, really special because I only do it with eight people. And it's awesome. We just <laughs> finished up. 
this round. I was in it and it was just so great. I mean, mm, thank you. And I love that you brought the sacred dance aspect in. I mean, yeah. maybe that was a secret. I shouldn't, have, but like there was something to that, that I was like, I was just blown away. It was such a great, such yeah. a great program, such a great retreat. I mean, I love doing that. I love working with women. I love teaching that 20 count medicine wheel. And it's really different from the practical awareness course, the eight week course. And it's just different from what we do in general um, at the general classes at awareness school. But, you know, anybody can come from anywhere in the world to our little place in the San Juan Islands. I mean, we're just developing it and we, you can really get a taste for what we do mm-hmm. with an immersion in a week long retreat or a weekend. And I think, and we do the dances and mm-hmm. it's a really, really unique and special um, kind of meditation retreat. And we don't just sit around and meditate. It's not Vipassana. We're, we're meditating many, many hours. We're working and showing you how to do this thing, holding on to sensation and how how to be present how to do this stuff so you can take it home so there's many things just go to awarenessschool.com and you're going to see all of it awesome so much cool stuff is happening so i always ask molly what's the one thing you'd like our listeners to know or to take away Mm. i really want you to know that there's a place in you that is so full and so real and so whole and you can access it. You can have that and I want you to believe it, that there's a way to be free and that's the truth. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Molly. Yeah, we can have this and the world needs it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the show. All of the show notes, links, and references can be found at www.sensitivityuncensored.com. If you'd like to read more about high sensitivity or intuition, sign up for my mailing list, book an intuitive reading with me, or learn about my membership or school, please visit my website at www.sensitivityuncensored.com.